Our sermon text this morning is Romans 8, if you want to be turning there in your, in your Bibles. Uh, we, uh, Romans 8 it has been called the, well, uh, J.I. Packer talks about Romans as the high point of Scripture. That if you, um, to really understand Romans, you need to understand the rest of the Bible, but that Romans is sort of this um, ultimate expression of the Gospel. And that Romans 8 is then the high point of the book of Romans, because it's, uh, it has so many beautiful pictures of the gospel and of uh, the, just the, the blessings of the Christian life, with what God has done for us. And um, we're, So we're here, we're in Romans 8 now, and uh, we, our text this morning starts with the word, therefore. And if, um, if you have done much and learning how to study your Bible, you may know that whenever you see the word therefore, you should ask the question, what's it there for? Like, what is it, um, why is it there? Because therefore is a word that connects what's about to be said to what has already been said. And in this case, to find what Paul is referencing back to, we have to go all the way back to chapter 5. Gage mentioned last week that chapter 6 and 7, Paul is explaining a statement he made in chapter 5, um, verse 20, where he says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And so in ch- chapter 6 and 7, Paul has been knocking down arguments that someone might have against the idea that where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. And so when we get to chapter 8, and Paul says, Therefore... It is there to point us back to chapter 5. So what Paul is saying, he's saying, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And then Paul goes on from there. So uh, let's read our text together, and if you would, uh, please stand as we read God's Word. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Let's go to Him in prayer. Father, we 
come to you, and we, uh, as we open your word, we are grateful that you have spoken to us, that you've spoken these words of grace to us this morning. And Father, we ask that you would send your spirit now to, to teach us what you would have us to hear. Father, we want, we want to hear from you. Um, your, um, your servant is um, just, just a mouthpiece, and Father, I ask that you would uh, help me to get out of the way so that you can say what you have to say this morning. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Alright, these are the words that begin our text this morning. And uh, it's, it's, kind of, it's almost as if Paul has this bucket that he's looking into. Where it's marked on the side, it says condemnation for those who are in Christ. Um, and he's looking into the bucket, and there's nothing. It's empty. And if we know ourselves... so. I, a picture of Paul's over there, I'm over here, and he's telling me there's nothing in the bucket. If we know ourselves, we understand the law, we should know that the law and our sin together leave us deserving death and condemnation. Now, that's what chapters 1 through 3 were all about, how we have all sinned. We know um, that that's what we deserve, but the rest of this text then is kind of an unpacking of this idea. That Paul is answering the question, how can it be true that there is no condemnation in our buckets? Uh, There's a story in the Old Testament about the city of Jerusalem, uh, where the city of Jerusalem was under siege by an invading army. And the siege went on for so long that the people of Jerusalem began to do desperate things to to survive. And... uh, they got to the point where they, you know, it just was, it was a, they were in dire straits. But then they wake up one morning, and the army is just, it's gone. And we know, because, you know, from the text of the scriptures, we know that God orchestrated things where this army had to leave, and the city of Jerusalem then was free. But from their perspective, they wake up one morning, they go to bed one night, army's still there, they wake up the next morning, and all of a sudden it's gone. And they're wondering, where did they go? Where did this army go? And that's how I want to approach this text this morning. As we, as we realize that there is no condemnation for us, to ask the question, where did it go? Because apart from Christ, we're surrounded by condemnation on every side. Specifically, in this text, we see three things that encircle us with condemnation. The first is the law. The second is the flesh. And then death. So the law, the flesh, and death. And as we go, we, I kind of want to take them one at a time and start to knock down and see why we, when we used to be surrounded by condemnation, that is no longer the case. So the first thing that we see is the law. So the word law shows up a couple of times in our text early on. So verse 2, it shows up twice um, where it's talking about um, more of like a principle that governs life. So like the law of gravity or Murphy's law, right? What can go wrong will go wrong. When it talks, Paul uses the word law in verse 2, a lot of scholars think, agree that he's, uh, he's using it in the terms of law, of like a principle for life. But then in verse 3, Paul refers to the law in the sense of the legal code, right? Of God's will for how he wants us to live. Um, the rules that he gives us. And we see here, Paul says, that God has done what the law could not do. But maybe let's start with what the law can do. Right? So the law, when you think of any law, a legal code, it does two things. It tells us how to live, 
and it condemns us when we break it, when we fail to obey. Right? This would be true even in our, our um, the U.S. government legal codes. Right? They gives you commands and lays out consequences for breaking it. It tells you not to steal, and then it, tell, it says what the repercussions would be if you do steal. Um, what you know, what's the gives guidelines for jail time and those kinds of things. That's just that's just what laws do. The problem isn't with the law. The problem is that we don't keep the law. And so when we look at our past, right, it's full of things that deserve condemnation, because the law has told us how to live. We haven't done it, and so now this that second aspect of the law kicks in. And it tells us what we deserve because of breaking it. I'm sure if all, any of us, if we stopped and thought for a moment, could think of things that would make us afraid to go before God's judgment seat. All of us, all of us have things in our past that make us guilty, have reasons that we are condemned under the law. And this isn't just about our past before we came to Christ. It's it's just any, the past being any moment before this one. That the reality is that as we, as we move forward in time, we leave behind us a trail of sin and rebellion. Right? The law judges us for these, the thoughts, words, and deeds that we commit in time and space. All of us have a past, a history of sin and rebellion against God. Um, a criminal record, if you will, in God's kingdom so that we're condemned by the law. So this is the first direction that we look, expecting condemnation, towards the law. Right? But what we find is that this enemy has disappeared overnight. Because as verse 3 says, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So the law is incapable of fulfilling its own commands. Right? When Paul says that God has done what the law could not do, what the law could not do is it could not fulfill its own commands, and it couldn't deal with our guilt because of breaking it. But this is precisely what God has done through Christ. Right? So that when we look to the law, we no longer find condemnation. Instead, we find that the requirements of the law have been fulfilled on our behalf. Paul's statement here is, is intensely personal. Right? He doesn't just say that the law has been fulfilled in some general, theoretical, universal sense. He could have said that because it would be true, but Christ has fulfilled the law on behalf of all who are in him. Right, he, meaning you and me personally, he has fulfilled the law for us. So that the law no longer sees us in terms of our sinful past. So now if we kind of take the image of, like, of your record, your, your criminal record, if someone were to go in and look up your, your cosmic heavenly record, what they would find is not your misdeeds, but the record of Christ's perfect life. Your past is done away with. It's wiped clean. Instead of the times when you've said something mean to your mother or your spouse before storming out, your record displays the ways that Christ perfectly and lovingly obeyed His parents. Instead of your history of abusing and misusing alcohol, food, TV, video games, 
Your record displays Christ's perfect enjoyment of all of God's good gifts. If you are in Christ, there is no condemnation from the law, which means your past cannot condemn you. And so Paul has knocked down one of the enemies and says, look, you look that direction, there's nothing there anymore. But we can look a second direction at the, at the flesh. Because even as Paul remi- tells us that the requirements of the law have been met, he reminds us of this other source of condemnation, which is our flesh. Paul centers his discussion of the flesh around verses 5 through 8. But to understand these verses, we need to understand what Paul means by the flesh. Because right, he's not just talking about our flesh and blood. Right? Just the, you think about flesh, we often think about just kind of your physical self. Um, but that's not, uh, Paul uses the term that way sometimes, but often Paul is using the term flesh in a more um, sort of technical sense, where he's referring to our whole selves, the entirety of our humanness, seen as corrupt, unredeemed, and opposed to God. And so if our condemnation under the law deals with our past, the ways that we've rebelled against God in space, time, by our thoughts, words, and deeds, and our condemnation because of the flesh deals with the condemnation we deserve because of who we are, because of our very nature. Right? We see this in verse, verses 5 and 6. So verse 5, when it says, the ESV says, for those who live according to the flesh, um, the Greek word isn't live. He actually says, for those who are according to the flesh. And the reason they translate it live is they're trying to give this idea of, of your, your kind of who you are, right? The way that who you are is tied to how you live. And, um, but Paul's talking about the flesh as sort of our, just ourselves, as unredeemed sinners. And then in verse 7, he says, or um, sorry, verse 6, then to set the mind on the flesh is death. Meaning, if you are, so if you are in the flesh, you will set your mind on the things of the flesh. And setting your mind on the things of the flesh is death, and, and it leaves us deserving of condemnation. There's a, so I think Jeff mentioned this at some point during our Exodus study, but there's an Egyptian myth about their kind of view of the afterlife. That when you died, you would go to the, the heavenly courtroom, and your heart would be weighed. And so there were scales, and on one side was a feather, then your heart would be placed on the other side. And if your heart was heavier than this feather, it meant you had an evil heart and deserved condemnation. This view, their view of the afterlife, uh, emphasizes not your deeds so much. So it's not this picture of like kind of playing back through your life, but it emphasizes your heart, what's inside you. And obviously these two are related, right? Because your deeds flow out of what's in your heart. There's not this strong gap. But, uh, but, but it says something um, about just this idea that uh, what matters is, is what's on the inside. And it's a very biblical idea that we're not judged just for uh, the things that you can see on the outside, right? The deeds that we commit. But we're judged based on our hearts. Uh, and it's a, this idea comes out um, in uh, the story of Jesus and the rich young ruler. So in Mark, Mark 10, Jesus is having this conversation with this young man 
who comes to him and he asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, what must I do to have no condemnation? And Jesus starts by telling him to keep the commandments, right? To obey the law. And the man says, I've done that. My past is spotless. I can't be condemned by the law. Jesus, rather than pushing back on that, which certainly he could have, rather than pushing back on that, he tells him to sell everything, give it to the poor, and only then will he have eternal life. And then come and follow me. And only then will he have eternal life. And the man goes away sad. And we're, we can ask the question, why? Right? Jesus has just laid out for him the path to eternal life. But he goes away sad because he knows that he's condemned by the flesh. Right? He knows that his sinful heart loves money more than God. And the point that Jesus wants that man to understand, what he wants us to understand is that even once the law is taken care of, we have another problem. It's our flesh, our basic human nature as unredeemed, opposed to God. The basic orientation of our lives away from God. This is the same thing that Paul is getting at in verses 5-8. through He says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If your mindset, your basic orientation, your desires are towards sin and self rather than towards God, then you stand condemned by the flesh. So not just the law, but the flesh has to be dealt with. Um, Otherwise, we stand condemned. We see Paul um, tells us that God deals with the condemnation that we deserve because of our flesh in two ways. The first is simply that Jesus took on human flesh. He died to condemn sin in the flesh. In other words, Jesus took on the likeness of human flesh. He took on everything about us except for our sin lived a perfect life, died, was raised again in order to redeem us. Not just to pay the penalty for our sin, but actually to redeem ourselves, who we are. And then secondly, we see the second way that God removes the condemnation of our flesh is through the Holy Spirit. Alright, this is, uh, so second half of verse 4, right, that uh, the law is fulfilled in us who walk according, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If your trust is in Christ, and the Spirit dwells in you, and your fundamental nature is no longer sinful flesh, who you are is no longer your sin. Now, who you are is determined by the presence of the Holy Spirit. The flesh and the Spirit are at war within you, but the Spirit is going to win. So while the Spirit... uh, the Spirit, then, is, the, is sort of the governing authority, and the flesh has nothing left to do but commit d- acts of desperate terrorism. This is important for in the here and now, in the present moment, because it, it should have an effect on our conduct, right? The fact that we are 
fundamentally in the Spirit means that we are able to obey God. We are able to please God. Which is a huge change compared to what verse 8 says about those who are in the flesh. But, it also, as we look towards um, the final day, it means we are no longer judged based on our flesh. So if we, if we think about that, um, that image of the weighing your heart, it means that at the end of time, when your heart is weighed, it won't be your sinful flesh that is weighed. It won't be your heart of stone that is, that is blackened and darkened and, and focused on yourself and your own desires. It will be the Holy Spirit dwelling in your new heart that is placed on the scale. Which means that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ from the flesh or from the law. But there's one last place that Paul uh, takes us to, and it's to look at, um, as, at, death. at death, this idea of death as proof of our condemnation. Um, so Paul kind of references this in verse 10 when he says that the body is dead because of sin. And he's reminding us there of a principle that we've seen before, um, most explicitly I think in Romans 6.23, where he says that the wages of sin is death. In other words, when we sin, the condemnation we deserve is death. We see this same idea at the very beginning of Scripture, when God uh, places Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, in the garden. And He says, tells them that they can eat of any tree in the garden except one, and in the day that they eat of it, they shall surely die. Right, right from the beginning, God established the principle that sin, disobe- disobedience to His law, leads to death. The condemnation for our sin comes in the form of death, right? And that's what, that's what death is. Death is condemnation. It's condemnation and judgment on our sin. And the condemnation of death touches all of humanity. It's universal in its sweep. None of us are going to escape death. Uh, it's been said, read somewhere, that all of the wars and plagues have done nothing to raise the death toll. Right? It's, it's always one for one. One death for one person. One death for one sinner. And yet, more than any society before us, I think we're ignorant of death. Uh, we, we experience thoughts about death as an interruption right, to the scheduled programming rather than just a, a basic fact of life. We, uh, we, we are able to, sh- through, because of hospitals and um, just the the really wonderful advances we've made in healthcare, we can we kind of shield ourselves from death in a lot of ways. And, uh, but the reality is, whether we think about death or not, death eventually finds us. Even if we can push it back um, longer than anyone before us, death eventually finds us. And it brings on our physical bodies the punishment for sin. And so when the key thing here is as we look at death, we see there this, this proof that we deserve condemnation, if you will, right? It's if, if we're going to experience death, then clearly there's, um, see, right there we can see God punishing us. And part of what Paul is addressing here, when he gets to verse 2, is he's saying when, um, that we are no longer subject to this, this principle or this law of sin and death, right? That the, the, we have been set free from 
uh, from sin. And, and being set free from sin, we have been set free from the condemnation of death. In other words, the, this governing principle that sin leads to condemnation in the form of death um, no longer applies to us. We no longer experience death as condemnation. The key, key thing here for Paul is that the Spirit dwells within you. Right? If the Spirit dwells within you, then this dying, decaying body is not your, your true self. This, your true self is the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. Um, Colossians 3.3 says it this way, that if you have died, then your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's not to say that our flesh isn't important, because Paul's actually going to go on to talk about our bodies being raised. But the key thing is that there's, there's this unbroken chain of our, of our self that, trans, that bypasses death. Right? Your, your life, your hope, is not tied to this body that is going to die. It's tied to Christ and the Spirit that dwells within you. And because of this, what verse 11 says, if, you're, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Meaning that death is not condemnation for you. Because death will not be the last word. The last word for us will be life. Which means that death has no hold over us. And death is not condemnation for those who are in Christ. As we, as we draw to a close, uh, I don't know, just a few points of, of application to point us to. Uh, the first is kind of right in the text. It's to set your minds on the things of the Spirit. Right? Uh, so Colossians 3, uh, 1 and 2 um, says it this way, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And what are the things of the Spirit that we should set our minds on? Verse 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Um, what uh, Jeff preached on chapter 6, you've been set free from sin. Right? Those are the things of the Spirit that we should set our minds on. To ponder the freedom that comes from knowing that there is nothing in your past to atone for, there is nothing in yourself to fix in your own strength, right? and there's nothing about your death to fear. Second application would be just as... As you seek to put sin to death in your life, and as you seek to be more like Christ in the realities of everyday life, that uh, do so from the bedrock of your forgiveness. That there is no condemnation for you. Right? It's, I, it's so easy to feel the the sting and the the anguish of of just thinking that we I need to be better. I have to be better. Um, you know, I should be better than this in my life. And, uh, but that's not where we build our Christ-likeness on. We build our Christ-likeness on knowing that we are forgiven, knowing that there is no condemnation for us, and that this lack of, this no condemnation has nothing to do with how you've lived your life so far. Nothing to do with what, how you've lived or who you are. It has everything to do with Christ. And really, it's only on that rock that we can grow to be more and more like Christ. Let's pray to Him now. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you that there is no condemnation for us. That you have forgiven us through the work of Jesus. You have given us your spirit to dwell within us. Father, we, as we just meditate on these words, I ask that you would, you would give, um, give us comfort in knowing that we are forgiven. Give us peace and uh, grow our love for you and our, and our grace towards others in the midst of that. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.